my sales process and the sales process that I help people create for themselves is really all about, is this person the right fit? Am I the right person to help them? Is this program that they're on this call with me about the right program? Because maybe it's not. Maybe it's another offer of mine that would actually be better for them. And so my methodology is all around helping my clients create a custom sales process that really helps them quickly and efficiently figure out who's the right fit for them and how to showcase the value of your program or your coaching or healing, whatever it is that you're doing, your service in a way that they get. You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Koch, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hey, welcome back to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now, question mark. Holy shit, you are the boss. I'm Jackie, your host, and today we are joined by a guest. And we dig into sales, all about sales. We go into really how you can develop your own authentic selling voice and strategy and how to start to look at sales in your business in a non-icky kind of way. I know myself personally, sometimes I'll see sales tactics or I'll be on sales calls or even I am doing my own sales and I'm really trying to find my own way of selling that feels authentic to me. And that is what you get to hear all about in today's episode. So Heather Wild joins me and she is a sales expert specializing in human first feel good ways for coaches and healers to three times their sales, raise their rates and keep their programs full of go-getter clients that get results. She's also the author of the Online Entrepreneur Survival Guide. She's a stand-up comic, a musician, and aspires to live off the grid and grow most of her own food. All of that stuff seems very much in line with me outside of my professional career as well. So we have a great time talking all about sales, and you're going to leave with tips on how you can create an authentic sales strategy and sales pitch that feels good for you and your business. Heather, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited we finally get to connect. Listeners, we had to reschedule our podcast. She had some schedule things come up and I had just gotten four cavities filled and so I couldn't actually talk. Here we are. We finally made it happen. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm really happy that we're both well enough to be here. I was coughing my head off. I'm going to try not to cough too much today, but yeah, thanks Uh, for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for coming on. So I love to kick things off with a founder story or an entrepreneur story. So tell me, how did you venture into this crazy thing, entrepreneurship? Gosh. So I've been an entrepreneur. I've had several different types of businesses most of my adult life. I got frustrated with the coaching industry because I couldn't find a way of selling that felt good to me and quit for a little while and went and worked in property management and it made me hate people. I went from being a concierge to a leasing agent to a limo driver and owning my own like one woman limo company and I was waiting for a client at the Atlanta airport holding my little sign and all of a sudden this message just got this download that was like anything that you're doing that's not coaching is a waste of your gifts and so I was like okay message received. Okay so many questions to unpack here. When you were deciding to get back into entrepreneurship and coaching and you knew you had to sell, if you remember... How did you decide to look at it differently? Was there any sort of aha moment or system that you followed? Like, how did you go back to it and be like, there has to be a different way 
of doing this that feels good to me. Do you remember that at all? Oh, yeah. So number one, I realized that I had to stop messing fucking with these stupid, huge, big guru, 100 plus person business programs because they don't help most people in spite of all the testimonials. So I realized that I had to get a one-to-one coach. And fortunately, I had spoken with a coach. We're both cancer survivors. So we bonded over that. And she was offering like free coaching for six months as like beta test stuff. And so I realized I needed that one-to-one support. And that was huge. Like actually having somebody in my corner that I knew I could reach out to and didn't just have to post a question in a Facebook or get on a three-hour phone call, group call and fight to get a hot seat. So that made a huge difference. The other thing was that I had to look at everything that I had learned. And by that point, I had already spent like 14 grand on like big coaching programs and pull out the parts that weren't sleazy and see if I could fit them into something that felt good. And so many mentors had told me that I had a mindset problem, which I go off about quite a bit. The whole cult of mindset has gotten completely out of control in the coaching world. That's another topic. But people would tell me, you just have a bad mindset. Like sales isn't sleazy. Sales is service. And I'm like, it depends on how you do it. And what you know, I'm like, I will believe that sales isn't sleazy when you show me a way of selling that isn't sleazy. And everything they were showing me had sleazy elements. But I picked and chose. And then I'm really good at taking things from all kinds of places and mixing it into my own thing. And I love doing that with my clients too. I don't do cookie cutter stuff. And I found out that sales is just a conversation when you're figuring out, does this person have a problem that you're qualified to solve? Are they ready to solve it? And do you like them enough to spend the time it's going to take to solve? That's really all it is. There's more complexities too that I teach people. But once I got that and I saw there was a way of selling that actually felt good. And then like I went from converting maybe 10% of the people I talked to converting 70% of the people I talked to at much higher rates. And my clients have been able to do it too. The paradox is that the low pressure or actually no pressure stuff actually converts three times better than the old school bro marketing bullshit. Yeah. So it sounds like for sake of maybe making you mad, you found out how sales was service. Yes. You figured it out. Yes. Sales can be service and it can be sleazy. It depends on how you do it. But these people would try to just this overarching concept. Sales isn't sleazy. It's service. For sure. And if you are a good person and you have great products or services, you owe it to the world to make sure people know about them, right? And mm-hmm. that can feel scary. So if you could share some pro tips for listeners to the show, any frameworks that you walk folks through when you're training them or any like pro tips to figuring out how to sell authentically to you? Yeah. So the way that most people teach sales is read the script and these questions are designed to magically talk the person into working with you. If that doesn't work, you pitch and then you overcome all their objections, which is essentially like you gaslight them and try to convince them that their concerns are all just mindset issues or fears and you shame their ambition and blah, 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 and just corner them until they buy. And it's gross. And one of the frustrations when I was trying to learn, I was like, we're asking these questions, but what are we listening for? And this is when I finally realized why ideal client avatars actually are important because most people teach that really stupid. They have you create a fictional character, which is not helpful. But once I realized, I was like, wait, I really need to know who this person is so 
that I can design questions. So when I'm asking the questions, I know why I'm asking this question. It's not just a waste time until I pitch. I actually need to know, is this person in the right place? Do they have the right resources? Are they go-getters? Are they committed? Are they determined? And so my sales process and the sales process that I help people create for themselves is really all about, is this person the right fit? Am I the right person to help them? Is this program that they're on this call with me about the right program? Because maybe it's not. Maybe it's another offer of mine that would actually be better for them. And so my methodology is all around helping my clients create a custom sales process that really helps them quickly and efficiently figure out who's the right fit for them and how to showcase the value of your program or your coaching or healing, whatever it is that you're doing, your service in a way that they get, right? Does that answer your question? Yeah, totally does. I'm thinking, so for me, I have a recruiting and an HR company, right? And I've been in HR for a very long time. And so I get pitched all the time from sales folks for oftentimes software applications because I help implement HR platforms and recruiting software. There's a lot of software actually that goes into running the HR side of your business if you have a fairly large company. And so I think I could write the script that every single SaaS company gets in order to sell. And I know what's coming and I just level with people right away. I'm like, look, I know what you're going to ask me. This is what I need. You know what I'm saying? So I can see it coming. And I think the same is true for coaches, for sure. Obviously, you just shared that. But a lot of the listeners to the show here likely are like, I'm going to say service providers, but like small businesses. So they may not be coaches with programs, but they're more like small businesses providing a service with hourly employees, or I'm sure there's some coaches that listen. Do you work with any like small businesses that are not coaches and does the same apply to them? So yeah, actually, most of who I work with are coaches and healers. But I worked with actually a woman who ran a boutique HR consulting company. Great. Tell me what you taught her. <laughs> Mostly she was talking to me because she wanted to create a leadership coaching program based on everything she'd seen in HR. But we did work on her HR business. And one of the biggest things for her and a lot of my clients is the concept of the nightmare client avatar that I never heard anybody talk about. I could write mine right now. Yeah, I think so. I'm not going to because they might be listening. But I have an idea of what I would put. I want to hear from you what it is. Yeah. So with anybody, no matter what your business is, you do need to be aware of the people that get good results with you, the people that are a joy to work with, and you really understand what are their characteristics. And generally, demographics are not the most important thing for most niches, no matter if you're service-based or you're coach or healer or whatever. But really understanding who you love to work with and being aware of what made them that type of person. So making a list of like your top three clients and the characteristics you really loved about them and the things that you see help them to get great results. That's what you need to know about your avatar, right? On the flip side of that, you need to be aware of the things that make you fucking crazy when you're working with somebody. Or maybe you like the person, but they just didn't get good results. Right? So like with my HR client, she had a couple of nightmare clients and uh, it was interesting. I was like, I'm feeling like this is a pattern carried over from your personal life. And she was like, oh my God. Because like I stopped being codependent and I got all of these like being aware of those nightmare clients and just raising your standards and just being like, I'm not going to deal with the person that I have to chase for payment. I'm not going to deal with the person that is rude and abusive to me. And when you look at people that you've worked with, and this is an ongoing process, I actually have a living document that I give my clients so that they can update it because you don't know until you know about a lot of things. You can guess about some things, but 
But what I have them do, you know, having trouble with a client, I'm like, okay, go back and think about the process, how they became a client and go back and think about what were the yellow flags or the red flags that you just glossed over then so that you can recognize those in other people. So again, we were talking before we came on, like my process is really about winnowing out, is that the right word? Quickly recognizing the people who aren't a good fit so that you can focus on the people who are. Yeah, for sure. I think I can speak from my own experience of growing my business. I'm three years in and when you're early, you say yes to anything because you got to pay the damn bills, right? So you're like, yeah, sure, I can do that. Ooh, ooh, I think this is going to be hard, but maybe I can do this really quick and just get it over with or whatever. And I think you have to have the bad clients as well as the great ones to really narrow in who you work best with. And we've even implemented into our business a few different things specifically related to recruiting, where if you're not going to be a great partner, I'll say this very quickly, the recruiting industry is very similar to the sales folks that you're talking about. It's got to be ungodly. It's got to be a dumpster. It can be for sure. And And we are actually true partners with our clients and a recruiter will say that and they actually are not. But because they're so used to working with recruiters who will send over any warm body to an open job, a lot of times there'll be people who don't want to partner with you. They don't want to be involved in the process and all of this stuff. And so I actually had to fire a client last year and give them money back and all of these things because I was like, this is not going to work. And it was through that client that I changed our service agreement to make them click a box when they're signing the agreement that says, I agree to respond to emails within 24 hours. I I agree that I'm going to be a partner. Like I made them like check boxes about things that they are agreeing to by working with us. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, oof, like this makes me feel uncomfortable to make people check this box. But ever since we started doing that with clients, we haven't had nearly the same issues. And so it's been such an upgrade to our process. So that's one thing. I guess that's a part of the sales process, right? Because my hope is that the client that I signed that was shitty that I had a fire would have gotten to that box check and been like, oh God, I'm turned off by this and not signed it. Like I wish they would have. And that was my goal with that. So that's just for listeners an example of what I did in my business. If you have advice on if I should have done that differently, I would love to hear it, but just thought it would be helpful for listeners. No, it's interesting more on the sales side, the more picky you are, the more better people show up. Like not only better people show up literally, but it brings out a different level of people where they're like, oh, this person means business. And in my process, before I get on a call with somebody, while I'm on the call with them, it's very clear that I'm not wasting time to pitch to them. I am very seriously trying to figure out if they're a good fit. And what that does is it lets people relax. They're like, oh, she's not trying to sell to me. It's almost like I'm trying to strike them out, honestly. And so it's different. So with that, my only suggestion to you is if you don't already, clicking a box is one thing, but do they get a copy of that? They do, for sure. Whether they read it because it comes from like an e-signature platform, like who knows if they ever look at it again, but at least it's there to acknowledge that if we ever come into a disagreement, hey, you checked this box and said you were going to do this and you're not. I haven't had to go there yet, thankfully, but that was the intention. Yeah, it's a really good point just around contracts. And you're talking about updating a contract as a result of a bad experience. I had a nightmare client show up and I didn't have like so many coaches don't have termination clauses in their contracts because the story is I only work with people who are all in and I'm like, you're a predator. So 
I didn't have a termination clause, but it became very clear. And there were warning signs before when I went back and look at it that she was not going to make progress with me. And so I let her out of the contract and just said, look, pay me for the coaching service sessions we've done. And then you're gone. And I didn't have to do that, but I was just like, no, good riddance. And so I actually added in an escape clause where a client can fire me if I don't show up, if I don't do what I say I'm going to do, if I'm not delivering what I said I was going to deliver. And I can fire the client if they're not showing up or if they're not making progress that they're not implementing, right? So I never want somebody stuck in a contract with me and they're not getting value. I can't believe people would tell you not to do that. I'm like on the sidelines of the coaching industry, so I'm not totally in it, but that's wild to me that you wouldn't want that in there. You have that in employee contracts all the time. Yeah. So what happened was, this is my theory, is that a bunch of do-gooders got into coaching and they're like, oh my God, I'm going to change the world. And do-gooders don't tend to be great at business. And then the marketers showed up and they're like, hey, if you pay me $10,000, I'm going to teach you how to be a millionaire overnight. Just follow these rules. Do everything I say. Do this cookie cutter formula. And it's interesting. Narcissistic rationalization is fascinating. And so they have it. You're going to pay me in full or you're going to do this payment plan and there's no refunds and there's no termination no matter what. Because if you need that, it means you're not all in on your business. I can see that in coaching, how that's, oof, yeah, keep going. I have a story to share about that, actually. Oh, I'm actually in a dispute with somebody right now that it was supposed to include some done for you stuff and I kept getting excuses and they kept telling me it was done, but showing me no proof. And so I canceled and now she's like, no, no refunds. No, I was like, I just need a partial refund. And she's like, no, no refunds, no termination. Your only option is to keep paying for this. And I'm like, watch me. It's stupid. This is the other thing. Some of these coaches that they claim that they're making so much money, like, oh my God, $10,000 days. Oh my God. $30,000 a month. I'm making so much money. And then they want to trap you in a contract where you're paying even if it's not working for you. And I'm like, okay, this doesn't add up. I think you're full of shit. I meet a lot more people like you and other folks out there who I think are showing up differently in that space. And so yeah. I do get the sense that a lot of that stuff is shifting, which I'm really grateful for sure. And is probably needed 100%. Where I want to go next, and you may or may not have an answer to this question, but listeners to the show often have teams. When you think about somebody who has a team, or let's say you have a team, I guess I don't know if you have a team or not. Who do you feel is responsible for selling? Is everybody on the team a little bit responsible for selling in some way? Like, how do you view that if you have thoughts on that? So it depends on the business and it depends on how you define selling because marketing and sales kind of overlap. And some people would call marketing a definitive part of the sales process. Some people would call the nurturing process. Sorry for slurring. I've got to do this cough drop thing so I don't cough. I hear it. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I sound like you after the dentist last week. Yeah, you sound like how I would have sounded last week. <laughs> some people would call like the nurturing process where you're actually getting to know somebody. My nurturing process isn't about just turning somebody into clients, about figuring out is the person the right fit and how can I serve them best. So some people would call that part marketing and some people would call that sales. Some people would only divine sales is when you're actually like pitching, right? It depends. And there's no right or wrong answer to that. I think that for business owners, you have to look at like when your business gets to a certain level, you have to start thinking like a CEO and stop trying to do everything mm -hmm. and get real about what's eating up your time, what's just not your zone of genius, or maybe it's something that you really love to do, but you're just not really that good at it. Or maybe there's just stuff that you're just not that great at. If the business owner really looks and just says, I suck at sales and I have no desire to get good at it, right? And then they can't outsource that. For small business, I'm less plugged 
into your small business world. So I don't know how that affects things. But one of the things I definitely know is that if you're going to outsource sales, marketing, copywriting, anything, you want to make sure these people are in alignment with your values about your business. Yeah. And that's actually what I was just going to say as you were chatting through that was I get the sense that getting clear on how you sell and just the qualities of who it is that you want to work with, what you're committing to doing, how you're committing to showing up and how to deliver. I think making sure those things are clearly defined and then cascaded down through your organization so that they know those things so that if they are interacting with a client, they're showing up in the way in which you agreed that the company would. Or if they're interacting with a client and the client is acting a certain way, they know what was agreed upon how the client was going to act. One could argue that upsells or selling could lead to retention and all of those things or buying another program. So I think there's ways to filter that down without saying, hey, executive assistant, you're going to lead this sales call. It's no, this is how we respond. This is how we set things up. Cascading those down is what comes to mind in some of the stuff that you were saying. I like that. You and I were talking right now. I'm serving mostly one-to-one. I don't believe in big group programs. I think they are a ripoff. I do want to put together some small group programs. And another thing that I've considered doing is actually teaching people's teams how to sell. And so going into the situation, the first thing I would do is sit down with the owner, the CEO and talk about, well, how do you want your clients to feel when they're being marketed to and sold to and getting really clear on what are the company's values and how they want that to show up. And then going and teaching people, helping them create a way of selling that works for their business because not always the selling work for everybody. And then really showing them and talking to them about how treating people with dignity actually converts better. It really does. Even if you're not concerned with being a good person, you're concerned about your bottom line. The other thing I would really talk to that business owner about is being cautious about the policies that they put together that could encourage less than honorable sales technique. That's a very good point. I actually recorded a podcast about this a few months ago on employee cultures, right? And so you have to look at your recognition and rewards program because Wells Fargo, great company to point out, right? They were rewarding bad behavior, which resulted in people opening up a bunch of accounts for people that didn't know they were being open because they were incentivized to open accounts. And so you bring up a great point is to look at that. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, you're welcome. It's a similar kind of thing. When I was a kid, Walmart was like the best place to work in my small mm-hmm. town. And so I wanted to work there for years. Oh my God, Walmart, they paid like twice minimum wage. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be rich. And I go to work for them and they really made it miserable. And I found out that, I don't know now, but in the dark ages, the managers got bonuses for training people. And so they wanted that turnover because they got a bonus for training people. And so I think business owners are often not thinking ahead on how this policy, how this reward system may actually be contributing to problems in their company culture. That's a great example, a bad example, but a great example. (laughs) They also don't want to give you insurance, so they try to make you quit before your 90-day probation period. That was a thing. Yeah, that's tough. It's tough. Okay, so if listeners to the show are like, whoa, you are really resonating the way that you would teach selling and things like that, how can listeners follow you, learn more about you, and even work with you? Yeah, so heatherwild.com. Wild is W-I-L-D-E. I am mostly on Facebook. You can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram, but the best way to get my attention is on Facebook. And uh, yeah, come into my world, check it out, see if it's resonating and feels good. We can have a conversation. Never any pressure. Awesome. I'm so grateful. 
that you took some time out of your day to chat. I'm sure there's plenty of stuff in sales that we did not cover that they can learn by following you. But I think this is definitely a breath of fresh air on if somebody is feeling a little uneasy about selling, that there is some other tactics and some fresh approaches out there to doing it ethically. So thanks again so much for coming on. Oh, can I talk about my book really super Oh, of course you can. Of course. (laughs) It hasn't happened yet, but around the time that this is coming out, I will have just re-released my book. It was originally called The Online Entrepreneur's Survival Guide. I'm going to be restructuring it, breaking it into two books. And the first book is going to be all about how new entrepreneurs can navigate finding the right mentorship for them so that you get the person who's honestly going to help you and they're going to be in integrity and not just wind up with a bunch of debt and regret because I hate that. So if you follow me on social media, you'll find out when that comes out on Amazon and you can get a copy. Oh my gosh, that sounds like an awesome book for any entrepreneur, but especially new ones. So go check it out, listeners. And thank you again for coming on the show, Heather. And listeners, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Jackie. Bye. Are you ready to hire a recruiter to help you in your business? Exciting news for you. That can be me and my team. And we believe that the recruiting industry is due for a major upgrade in its recruiting and fee structures. So we have a completely different model than other recruiters out there. We have transparent pricing and transparent fees. Go check out peopleprinciples.co forward slash recruiting for how you can partner with us and let us do the hiring for you.